I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is where we will spend our time together this morning in God's Word. I shared with you last week that over the course of the next four weeks together, we would take a break from the book of Genesis and we would dive into some key passages that highlight the reality of what took place when Jesus came as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Most of us are familiar with that story. We're understanding of the events that took place, but for us over the next four weeks together, culminating on Christmas Sunday, I want us to look at what's going on theologically when Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among us. Emmanuel. You know, there are a number of things in my estimation and my opinions probably right 97% of the time, right? <laughs> At least I think it is. Uh, there's things in this life that are a bit overhyped. Things like Disney World. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Parents, just kind of overhyped a bit. Some of you Disney fanatics are going to have something. Just send the email to Scott Curlin at GoNorthRiver.org, okay? <laughs> overhyped a bit. Uh, in my estimation, much to the chagrin of Pastor Scott and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Cody, Chipotle, <laughs> just overhyped. Just don't think it's really that good. Alabama football. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there, right? You know, there's a number of things that I think all of us would probably say are a bit overhyped. And yet, when we come to the reality of Jesus Christ taking on flesh and dwelling among us, as we're going to see in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, John, one of Jesus' disciples, is going to hype up the reality of what that means for us. And hear me this morning. He is not over-hyping the reality of what takes place as we celebrate this time of year at Christmas, Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And so this morning, I want to read the text for us, beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, going through verse 18 this morning. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came bear, to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. As we look at these verses together this morning, walk back through them verse by verse. This is the main idea that will frame our time together in God's Word. It's this truth. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. In fact, you could say it this way, the Christmas story is a story of God's glory on display. You know, it's interesting as you look at John's gospel, because John writes this account of Jesus's life, his ministry, but he doesn't do it from the perspective of not really caring what you and I do with it after we read it. He's not an uninterested third party just writing a historical account of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jesus has transformed John's life, and John's desire is that anyone who would read this account of Jesus' life would too experience transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know this because near the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he tells us exactly why he wrote this account of Jesus' life and his ministry. He gives us the answer. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. 
John says, there's one reason that I have laid out this account of Jesus' life and his ministry. There are any number of other things that I could have written about. There are more stories that I could have detailed. But these that are here are meant to do one thing. That is to help you and I see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. That he is the Son of God. And John's desire is that we would believe in him and receive eternal life. As John begins this account of Jesus' life and his ministry, he does it in an interesting way. If you look at the other gospel accounts, you'll see the writers there detail out the Christmas story. You probably came in expecting over the next month to hear me walk through the Christmas story once again. And we've done that a number of times. But what I want to do for us, first here in John chapter 1, next week in Philippians chapter 2, the week following that in Hebrews chapter 1, and on Christmas Day in 1 John chapter 1, is to look at the theological reality at play in the Christmas story, because that's where John begins this gospel account. As we look at the text together this morning, I want you to notice first and foremost in verses one through five, the first truth, that we have seen his glory in creation. So as John is outlining this account of Jesus' life and his ministry, he's going to begin at the beginning. Not at the beginning of Jesus' birth, but at the very beginning. In fact, if you notice in verse 1, John writes, in the beginning. One of the joys that we've had over the last number of months together is to walk through the book of Genesis. And so I just want you, if you will, for just a moment to rewind back to the very first Sunday in January as we began Genesis chapter 1. And if you'll remember, the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 are these words, in the beginning. It's not by accident that John, in writing this gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry, begins there. Because he's going to unpack for us in the first five verses, Jesus' identity. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice John says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now fast forward just a little bit as we get to verse 14, and John's going to pull the curtain back for us and say, the Word is Jesus Christ. So let me put that spoiler alert out for you this morning that as we look at verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. He is speaking of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the word was with God. And lest you think Jesus is not co-equal with the Father, he says very plainly, the word was God. We see in Genesis chapter 1, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons in the Godhead all at work to bring about creation into existence. And here, John is highlighting the reality that Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and came to dwell among us, is God himself. In fact, as you look in verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. Notice verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In fact, if you look back at Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that the beginning of every single day of creation, we read these words, and God, what? Said. The Word. Jesus Christ is the agent of creation involved as planets leap into existence, as stars are hung in the universe, as the earth is formed, as trees are created, as mankind is created. What we read from John here is that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is there at work. In fact, just to emphasize it even more thoroughly in verse 3, there's a bit of a double negative at play here. Was not anything made that was made. To emphasize the reality that there was not a single created thing that was made that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was not in action creating. Which means, he is not created. He has always existed. From the beginning point of time, Jesus Christ, along with the Father and the Spirit, are there. And John outlines for us here that Jesus Christ was involved in every aspect of creation. Not only that, if you notice in verse 4, in Him, that is in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The origin of life, John says here, is in Jesus Christ himself. John is trying as best he can with the English words available in this translation as we're reading them to lay out for us the grand picture of just who Jesus Christ is. 
to help us understand and grasp the reality that he is God in the flesh. That in him is life. Certainly we would know that in him is eternal life. There is no other name under heaven which men and women, boys and girls can be saved outside of Jesus Christ. We know that. We cling to that truth, the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice as well that in him was the origin of life itself. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we are reminded very clearly, very plainly that God breathes life into Adam after he forms him. So in Jesus, John says here is life, both life to exist, to breathe, but also eternal life. In fact, as you look, you will see that Throughout the pages of John's gospel, this idea of light and life will come up over and over and over again. In fact, in John chapter 11, verse 25 through verse 26, Jesus, as he's speaking to Martha, makes very clearly, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." Yet shall he live, listen to this, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In Jesus is life, the light of men. As we read those verses, we are reminded of the reality that we see The glory of Jesus on display in creation. You and I exist because of him. You and I draw breath today because of him. The world in which we live exists because of him. But notice that John doesn't stop there. In fact, as you look at verses 6 through verse 13... You realize as well that we have seen his glory in redemption. Notice verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not John who's writing this gospel account. This is John who's called the baptizer in scripture, the forerunner of Jesus as he comes onto the scene. It says in verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John, as you read through his gospel account, one of the key figures is going to be John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus, that is going to call people to prepare the way of the Lord, to be ready For Jesus Christ to step foot on the scene. What you notice is that we're reminded in verse 10 about Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. We see this play out in Jesus' life and in his ministry 
God in the flesh dwelling among his people. And yet his own people, the Jewish people, rejected him. The religious leaders of Jesus' day did not believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior who had come into the world. They rejected him, but notice in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're reminded that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who was there and involved as the agent of creation when God spoke everything into existence, we're reminded that it is only through Him that salvation is possible. But if you look at this, we're also reminded that salvation is not a foregone conclusion either because there are those who rejected Jesus. Now, I think all of us, if we could step back for a second, we would say, if I could have just been there, I would not have rejected him. And yet when you look at his life and his ministry, the vast majority of those around him did reject him. But not all. In fact, we are encouraged that there are those who believed in his name. We are encouraged that there are those who trusted in him for salvation, who saw him and said, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the Savior that we have been looking for and longing for, and I trust in him alone for salvation. And for all who did that, Not only when Jesus was there, but for all who have done that from that time forward, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we see that John reminds us that we are the children of God, that we have been adopted into the family of God, that we have experienced forgiveness for our sin, that this was not in any way, form, or fashion on the basis of race or ethnicity. He says there very clearly, this is not of blood. He also says, this is not of the will of the flesh. You and I in no way could earn our salvation as a result of our good works. It's impossible to do that. This is not, he says here, of the will of man. There is no one who can decree whether or not you and I are saved. It is totally a work of God in our lives. And John outlines for us the beauty of what is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know this morning as we walk through these verses 
that there are a couple of things that are very, very clear for you. One is that apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. As we come to this Christmas season, church family, can I just encourage us once again to be reminded that the Christmas story is not just a good story, it is a gospel story. That the people that we interact with day in and day out, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity separated from him in hell. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step, that describes you today. But the good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay dead in your sins. You have the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation today. To experience forgiveness for your sins, to be brought into the family of God, everyone who believes in His name will be saved from their sins, will be adopted into the family of God. We don't just celebrate Christmas because it's a good story. As followers of Jesus, we celebrate Christmas because for us, it is the only story of hope that we have. As John outlines for us at the beginning of this account of Jesus' life and his ministry, he is putting our eyes on Jesus Christ. And beginning in verse 14, John is going to lay out for us one of the most important truths that we could grasp in this season. Verses 14 through verse 18, we have seen his glory in the incarnation. Verse 14, and the word that is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the agent of creation, co-equal with God the Father and with the Son who was there before time even existed, the word Jesus Christ became flesh. You see, up until this point in time, the assumption that we all have is that it is clear that Jesus Christ came. We know that. We understand that. John's readers would have begun to grasp that. But here, John puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. And he wants each of us to take a bite of the reality that Jesus Christ God himself, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. Both fully God and fully man. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen, John says, his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, in outlining this, is no doubt looking back to the Old Testament and the points where God is very clear that it is impossible to see him with human eyes and survive. 
In fact, if you remember back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses very plainly says to God, God, I want to see your glory. God, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, you can't handle it. You can't handle seeing the fullness of my glory. No one can see me and live. We see the account of God tucking Moses into the cleft of a rock and passing before him. And Moses gets just a, just a glimpse of the glory of God as he passes by and is absolutely awestruck by it. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah's vision of the Lord lifted up and his glory fills the temple. And Isaiah's only response is, woe is me in the presence of a holy God. Woe is me. And yet, John unpacks for us in this moment the beautiful reminder that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God came to this earth and took on flesh. And he dwelt among people. He didn't just sit in heaven and say, I can save you, and here's how it's going to happen. He came to this earth, and he took on flesh. When you think about that, you're reminded that for Jesus, he could have come in any number of ways. He could have come in the clouds. He could have come with legions of angels surrounding him. He could have come in pomp and circumstance. He could have come and set up his kingdom and ruled and reigned. He could have come in any number of ways. And John says, grasp the truth, the reality of the Christmas story. He came and took on flesh. He was born as a baby. He cried. He experienced pain. He experienced hurt. He was lied to and lied about. He was murdered even though he was without sin. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. There's an interesting thing that happens when Jesus comes on to the scene and says to John at the inauguration of his ministry, I want you to baptize me. John says, no, sir. I'm not even worthy to unlace the strap of your sandal. Why would John say something like that? Well, he gives us a glimpse here. He says, he who comes after me. Jesus was born physically after John. Yet notice he says here, he ranks before me. Yeah, he was younger than me, but 
but he's before me because he has always existed. Yet he took on flesh and we have seen grace and truth. Notice verse 16, John writes, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It is a gracious act of the God of the universe to come and to take on flesh and dwell among his people. When we think about Jesus as a baby in the manger, never lose sight of the reality that that baby in the manger is God himself. What a gracious moment for us to see that. Verse 17, John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law that was given to Moses was enough to show us the character of God. It was also enough, Paul says, to show us our own sinfulness and the fact that we do not measure up to the standard that God has. So the law functions in that way. But notice what he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and coming to dwell among his people, we see the grace of God on display. Why do we see that? Because in Jesus Christ, we who were without hope and could not measure up to the standard are able to see for the very first time someone who could. The only way that a sacrifice could be laid down for our sins is that it must be a perfect sacrifice. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ is. What we could not do that the law reminds us of very plainly, Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And the gracious act of the incarnation is Jesus coming in our place. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He did not compromise the truth of God's word. He came and fulfilled it perfectly. He is the only one who has ever done that. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, He, that is Jesus Christ, has made Him known. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. The Christmas story is a story of the glory of God on display. As you think about that reality, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you in this Christmas season not to overlook exactly what John details for us here. We celebrate the Christmas story. We celebrate Jesus in the manger, but never forget 
what that means. Never forget the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus taking on flesh. And he did it for one reason. That is to lay his life down for us. Christmas is a reminder that our salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning. You may have come in today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. And I want to remind you this morning of the truth that John proclaimed, the truth that you've heard this morning. That there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. I can think of no better time than this Christmas season as we celebrate the baby in the manger to be reminded of what that actually is. That is hope for any person who would place their faith and trust in him for salvation. If you're not yet a believer this morning, would you take that step today? We would love to help you, to walk with you through that. But if that's the step that you need to take, I encourage you in just a little bit as we have an opportunity to respond, to do one of two things. One, to come and to grab the hand of one of our pastors and just simply say, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've got further questions about that, if you would fill out a connection card, drop that off at the welcome table as you leave and just ask to speak with a pastor. We'd love to walk with you through that this week. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I just simply want to remind you of the glorious truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. That in him, we see the glory of God that in him salvation was made possible for you and for me. The Christmas story is our story. May we celebrate that. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but you sent your son Jesus to take on flesh to dwell among people, to lay his life down on our behalf so that through him, by believing in him, we could experience salvation, eternal life, adoption as sons and daughters of yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing our altars open? Our pastors are down front. You respond as the Lord leads.